guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. Well, welcome everyone to the Chasing Giants podcast, episode 181 with Don Higgins and Terry Peer and special guest that he's not a traveling salesman, folks. He's a traveling hunter. Joe Miles is on with us as promised this week. Uh, we, we've been looking forward to this show, Joe. Thank you so much for being on with us. Guys, as always, it is absolutely a pleasure. I am so happy to be back on and and enjoyed talking with y'all earlier so uh, anytime i get a chance to hang with you boys in person or on a podcast i, I thoroughly enjoy it <laughs> you must well, the, be hard the, up for friends <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, down here in south carolina it's tough to make them <laughs> yeah well i want to well. know i want to know how you pay this taxidermy bill there buddy because uh good grief you you're even hunting full-time in the summer you just got back from africa tell us a little bit about this trip Man, we had a great time. I took my son over there, and he had he had never been before. And you know, I worked over there for seven years when I was younger. I I did some guiding and and hunting over there when I was a lot younger, and fell in love with the place. And and you're right, you know, the seasons are opposite. Their their June July is is their winter, which is our summer, and obviously, and and so it's just a it's a great time to be over there. You're sitting around a fire at night. You know, one one afternoon I sat on a water hole and saw nine different species of big game animals just coming and going. Just a magical place. And it, it really is a bow hunter's paradise. I mean, you, you got different critters, impala, kudu, warthogs, you know, just in and out. And then you get to eat a lot of the meat. So just a, a great trip and a, a wonderful experience with my son. I, I loved every second of it. That sounds awesome. The, the memories are is going to outweigh a trophy or something hanging on the wall every day of the week. You know, I mean, that that opportunity to be there with your boy and and my favorite picture that you posted that whole week was a big pile of crap that you put on the chair as cover scent. And all I could think about was, you know, Don posted a picture of Babe today and he's going to update us on Babe. I was just wondering if he had a big turd laying right beside him to cover up the scent so he could get video footage of him. What do you say, Don? Well, you know what? <laughs> I wasn't going to tell that part of the story. <laughs> but yeah, believe it or not, I'm sitting there in the weeds and a code brown kicked in. So <laughs> I, I had to, I had the wind. The wind was perfect. So it didn't matter. I'm telling you, you could go work in a hog barn all day long and go hunting in the afternoon. And if the wind's right, the wind's right. And if the wind's wrong, the wind's wrong. And I, I proved I, it last night. I proved it. <laughs> I tried to tell the track that I was with that this was absolutely ridiculous. And, and he refused it. And so he got some, uh, it was Cape Buffalo dung and lit it on fire. And all it did was tick off the people I flew home with because my backpack was there. <laughs> And I put it up in the overhead bin where the air conditioning units are on the airplane. <laughs> Everybody from row seven to 15 smelled like buffalo dung coming through. So that, that was kind of a highlight of that, that whole. 
I cannot say I've ever done that. <laughs> what about a- lighting it on? Did you light yours on fire there, Don? No, I'll tell you, I, I've I've got some really good code brown stories, but I, I don't think I can top taking one on an airplane. Yeah, that's that's the that's the cake. I mean, at least you weren't in first class. You're back in coach with all the normal folks, so you know. It something, man. The eyes that were rolling and people trying to get away from me in that backpack. Did they actually know it was the backpack that was smelling? Oh, they or idea. They, some of them would look like they were fighting bees trying to get the get the odor away from them. <laughs> oh man! You should have you should have done that back during COVID when everybody was wearing a mask filter over their face. They would have they wouldn't have smelled it as bad, I guess. Uh yeah, well that, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Probably smelled it just the dad gum. <laughs> Well, Don, uh, let's talk a little bit about Babe. Uh, you saw him uh, yesterday and got some really, really good footage. Um, we want to tell everybody that that's – is it up on the Master Academy yet? And tell us a little bit about what you saw. Yeah, it is up on the Master Academy. Actually, uh, you know, I've got a uh, cell camera in, in a little wood lot, and there's a, a licking branch off this pin oak tree that the bucks just hit like crazy. And that's where my cell cam is. And yesterday, uh, mid-morning or so, I, I got a picture of a four-year-old buck. Uh, he was on my place last year as a three-year-old, and uh, he put on considerable growth, got real long brow tines. And, and last year, he had little stickers coming off the front of each brow and uh, each brow tine. And had the same thing again, except they're a whole lot bigger this year. And I seen him, and I thought, well, I'm going to slip in there sit on there's there's actually a uh, double crop soybean field that butts right up that little wood lot and i thought i'm gonna go you know sit there i, I know those bucks because there was another couple of, of younger bucks with him as well i thought they'll be coming out into those soybeans in the evening so i got there and i bumped a doe going in but she didn't blow or nothing she just kind of trotted off across the beans and i got set up and then, uh, I mean, I wasn't there no time and, and the deer were, were coming out and then, uh, the big one come out and, and I was looking through some weeds. So I couldn't, I, I figured it was the buck I had pictures of yesterday morning, but I got my, my binoculars up and, and I could see that it was babe. Um, so, you know, then I started messing with the, with the camera and everything, but got some really good video footage of him. I bet I got at least 10 minutes of video and. And then for some reason, the, these bucks kind of spooked. There was one crazy little year and a half old buck that I couldn't even see. He was out of my sight. And he could, there's no way he could see or smell me either. Um, unless the wind was swirling and that code Brown made it over to him. But <laughs> anyways, something spooked him. He went running by the big guy and the big guy followed him and they went around the corner, but they, they didn't vacate the field. They went up by a trail camera that I just hung on I don't know, Saturday or Sunday. Um, that, that's, that little woodlot's a pretty good spot, to, uh, to catch bucks in the summer. And so I went and put a second camera up there on those beans. Cause those beans were, were starting to get hit hard. I was starting to see a lot of deer on that field in the evening and babe just runs over there, like right in front of that camera, like, like it was all planned. And I'm sitting on one side of the field and there he is in front of my trail camera on the other side as I'm videoing him. So, uh, got, got some good trail camera pictures of him yesterday. The, he, he's, uh, 
I, he's not as big as last year. You know, we've talked a lot about culling bucks and, and how I try to call out the, the eight pointers when they're three years old on my place. Just, uh, my experience has always been that if they're an eight point at three years old, that's probably what they're going to be. Well, you know, he kind of, uh, broke that rule. And at four, he put on a five by five mainframe with one sticker. And then as a five-year-old, he was a five by five mainframe with four stickers. And I thought, Hey, things are going in the right direction. Let's let him go to six. Well, guess what? This year he's back to a four by four, no stickers at all. Um, giant heavy beams and, and, uh, tines, but he's not going to score what he did last year. I, if he get, I, I'm going to say 180. Um, last year he'd have been in the mid 180s. He's going to have more mass. He's going to have more time length, but not as many points. He's not quite as wide as he was last year either. So uh, I don't know that that's the babe story. I haven't decided if I'm going to shoot him or not. So yep. Um, that that decision will take a little bit of time, but uh, I'm I'm curious uh, the footage that you got. How far away were you? Uh, about a hundred yards. Oh, so it's pretty good footage then. Yeah, I, I had my camera on a tripod, so I wasn't handholding or anything. I, it's really good footage. Did you say a hundred and eighty inch eight point a four by four? Well, if you count, he's got a double G two on one side, and then he's got two extra stickers on one base. If you add it all up, he will gross. Yeah, he'll gross one eighty. It's a four by four. <laughs> Yeah, he's probably more like a five by four, but he's probably got what ten inches of non-typical on him. You think well, it's that if you much? count that, if you count that, that double? double G two as as one of those is a non-typical, he's got more than ten inches yeah, of non-typical. So, so anytime you get a four by four over one sixty, it's a toad. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that that's where my brain was going, right? <laughs> the 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 professional well, traveling hunter that's beside you is getting a little bit of a twitch trying yeah. to my <laughs> uh, trigger finger itchy itchy. <laughs> I've actually got another true four by four. I mean he don't have any stickers, he's clean, and I'll bet he's gonna be one seventy. Oh yeah, my pretty gosh. pretty easy. That's 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 a giant buck I, he he showed me a picture of that one a while back joe and i was like whoa nothing <laughs> he's five years old he, he needs to go he's he's got to go this year the, the trigger finger on mission whitetail just raised it raised up as a volunteer i'm sure oh y'all can't see my hands <laughs> both up over my <laughs> Well, uh, to follow along on the story, I think, um, Don, you're planning on uh, continuing to get footage and mulling out the situation through the summer before you decide what to do. And to follow that along, I think, uh, go over to the Whitetail Master Academy and, and check that out. And Joe, you're on the podcast for a couple of reasons tonight. We're going to actually have you on for the listener submitted question segment. Uh, we want to talk about what's new with Osseo. But before we do that, we got good news. We just got a shipment of Osseo hats in, just like this one here. And they're going to have Real World Wildlife Products logos on the front. We'll have those on the website coming up this week. And uh, here within a couple weeks, we'll have Chasing Giants logo. So thank you so much for allowing us to put our brands 
on Osseo Camo. Um, it, it's so awesome that you've given us some of that freedom to uh, represent you and all the hard work you guys have done over the last couple of years. Man, I appreciate it. No, it's uh, it's an absolute pleasure to to get the hats to you guys and, and use them how you want, and, and hopefully the guys that get them will, will like them. I think they turned out great. Um, you know, I, yeah. I got a speak when they came into the warehouse, and, man, they, they look good. So I'm sure the guys are going to love them. Yep. So we got a bunch of Real World Wildlife product logo ones that will be on the Real World site, and then we'll have them up here shortly um, on the Chasing Giants website. So make sure you check those out. and. Uh, uh, support Joe Miles and Osseo Gear a little bit. It's uh, dude, dude, the support that you've given us not only for the podcast but also Lester's feet, it, it really does mean a lot to to have you in our corner as much as you as much as you are. Well, it, it, it's so mutual, guys. You know, you know, it always has been since since absolutely day one. When you when you find good people in the industry, you, you got to lock your talons in and and keep growing and and doing things together and. And so I just appreciate, you know, ha- having had the opportunity to meet y'all and 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 work with y'all and and grow. It, it's just been a blessing on my end for sure. And and the real thank you, I guess, really should go out to all the listeners who have gone out and everywhere we go, they're wearing Osseo camo. I think it's the most popular camo out there right now. No matter where we go, people got Osseo on it. So I guess the big thank you needs to go to all those people listening to the podcast that's gone out and bought it. It, it really does. I, I appreciate it. You know, it, it's to say humbling, that, that's the wrong word. But but to go from an idea of walking in the woods and and and, and you know, figuring out what we want to do with that ambush predator camo and then seeing people that I've never met, not friends and family, but people I've never met wearing it. I mean, it, it's it's a wow factor. It's humbling. It's a blessing beyond anything that I could ever have imagined. And you know, it, 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 it's been a lot of hard work and it, it's, you know, you guys have certainly helped a tremendous amount spread the word. And I just am so appreciative for, for our customers. And, you know, we, we work hard to do everything that they need and build stuff that's going to help them. So, you know, that's that's kind of our mission. And I think the other thing that, you know, Don and I are very blessed and Don can speak to it if he wants, but Don and I are very blessed to have such a great following inside of the Amish and Mennonite communities. And one thing that you did different that no one else did in this industry when it comes to garments is you actually prepared a pathway for our Amish and Mennonite folks to be able to order it, whether it's uh, putting order forms in the Busy Beaver magazine or being able to call in. You know, that was another level of service that you had to put a little bit extra work, time, manpower in but really connected to some of those followers that have been just so good to Don and I over the years. Right, Don? That's absolutely right. You know, uh, the people that we attract with this podcast, this is not going to come as any surprise after last week's political rant are are the salt of the earth people. (laughs) You know, Terry and I have already run off all the knotheads. Everybody that left us has left is great. And, And our sponsors, are the same way, you know, and, and I think most of our listeners are like me in, in that they want to support good companies, you know, that are run by quality people with integrity, honesty, you know, high character people. And Osseo fits that bill. And, 
you know, one thing that, that I can share with you, Joe, is if you look at the pictures that we take at my whitetail masterclass, you know, every year we go out on the, on the property tour and, and we stop in front of the smoky blind and we take a photo. If you compare the photos from the classes this past spring to this previous spring, the previous spring, I, I don't know if there hardly anybody in Osseo this year, I'm telling you, it's Osseo everywhere. <laughs> and you know, the, those are the good people that, uh, don't get mad at my political rants and run off and cry. <laughs> so those are the people we want wearing it for absolutely. <laughs> yep. Well, Joe, I've seen a couple social media posts this this week about Osseo 2.0. And uh why don't we just take instead of doing an Osseo commercial segment this week, why don't we just dive in a little bit to explain to the listeners whether they've seen this uh, marketing campaign or not, what does Osseo 2.0 mean? And what do you got cooking for guys getting ready to get suited up for fall of 2023? Absolutely. So 2.0, you know, we, we try to follow the textile technology as, as close as we can, just like, you know, you guys do with the seeds and, you know, this, the, the, the crave corn and the way you guys just stay on top of or feel the pulse of technology. And, and that's what we try to do with, with the textiles. And textiles are improving every single year. And so we, we've got a blend now of um, a grid fleece outer fabric and a higher pile fleece. And what we did, and, and not to get super technical here, but when, when you have a real high pile fleece, and what I mean by that is like that Berber fleece, you know, that really thick, thick fleece, that, that catches all the burrs and all that stuff and irritates guys, but it's, it's really quiet. What happens with that is you have to wet print it. And when you wet print that fleece, it makes the camouflage, the definition of the camouflage deteriorate. It soaks into those fibers and you don't have the vibrant camouflage. So what we did is, is on the 2.0, the face of the garment, everything that's going to be facing the deer, we, we took the pile as far as we could take it and heat transfer printed it where it would still take the high definition of the camo. And then on your moving parts, like under your armpits and on your back that might be brushing up against trees or when you're drawing your bow, we used a higher pile Serpa that, that is wet printed. So we, we call it our panel system where we everything is going to be facing the animal that needs to have the really good camo. We, we kept that with high definition camo stuff that's not really going to be seen as much and could cause noise. That's where we put in the quietest fabric we could develop. So that's kind of the face fabric that's going to be on the bibs, the jackets, the vest and the face fabric and the, and the back fabric. And then also we've got a patent pending new collar design that's going to be on all of our jackets and all of our vests. And I, I don't know about you guys, but over the years with just about every brand out there, I would take the vest collar, you know, when it was kind of unzipped or the, the jacket collar and I'd fold it in, you know, into my, into my neck, because when I drew my bow, my anchor point would be weird or I'd get string interference. And I just got tired of that. And I said, you know what, we're going to scallop this collar down. We're going to keep it really high in the back to keep the wind off and keep you warm. But when it comes around to the front, 
we scalloped it down, you know, below your Adam's apple, basically. So it's completely out of the way. You can get a repeatable anchor point and you have no string interference. And, you know, all these are, are small things that we're talking about, really minute, but man, they can make a difference. You know, if it, it, I'm sure there's some of your listeners and I, I bet we get comments on this podcast that have hit their vest or hit their jacket collar and it's caused the air to fly off weird and hit the deer bad or miss the deer. So we, we have completely alleviated that. So that's kind of the technology that's gone into the 2.0. And then we've got some new products, Terry and Don, if y'all want me to, I can kind of dive into what's, what's going to be new. Yeah, we want you to definitely do that, but I got just a couple questions about this panel system. So, you know, one of the, one of the great things about, uh, fleece is like you said how quiet it is but you know the burrs on the bottom half of your legs just drive you nuts and the the harder the soft shell is the louder it is the idea of somebody putting the soft stuff on the back where your back is rubbing against the tree or the tree stand seat is genius and I don't know why anybody's done that yet you know we you you told me about these small changes and improvements at ATA this year, and you said don't talk about it to anybody because somebody's going to steal it. It'll <laughs> it'll be on it'll be on every other camo pattern within the next year. They'll they'll go and release it next year, and you wanted to keep it a little bit close to the vest, so you had you know more time to get your product line out, and they couldn't copy it as quick. But man, I'm telling you, for the last six months after you told me that, I'm like. That that's a testament to everything about your camo, where the pockets are, how the cuffs are, the lengths of the sleeves, you know, every single the little covers over the bibs buckles so they don't make any noise. That's just another testament to the attention to detail that you as a tree stand deer hunter are putting into these garments versus people crawling around the prairies of Colorado, you know. And there's nothing wrong with those camos. They're just built, they're built for that, you know, or to use in Africa. And yours is the only one that from the de very basic design principles are to set in a tree stand. And that's what's so special about it. Well, thank you. Yeah, we, we've worked, we've worked hard at it. And, you know, I, like y'all, I spend a lot of tree stand hours sitting there mulling over fixing all the world's problems. And the last few years, you know, I've, I've really focused on, on, hey, how can we make this better? How can we make it quieter? How can we make you stay in the stand longer and, and, and be more lethal? And that, you know, that's, that's what we think about basically all day. Well, when you hunt 26 states, you spend a little bit more time in the tree than Don and I. <laughs> You know, I, I see a real correlation here with how Osseo operates and how real world operates because, you, you know, what other camo company has a, a hunter as serious as Joe a, as the founder president? I mean, this guy's using this stuff. The reason that he wants it, the, the reason he finds these little changes to make is because he's in the tree all the time to give him a, a, to give him an improvement of a garment of something that's not there yeah it's the same way with us and our seeds and, and nutrition products we're using them i mean we're using them ourselves we want the best and it's the same way with osseo you're using that you're wearing that your own camo to the woods you know the problems you want to correct them because you want the best chance of of success yeah, and I think we without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I think we both also have some core values that are the same and we're not going to 
by celebrities to, to just say that they use it because of using it. We want to get it in the hands of people and have them look at it, have them feel it. Um, uh, the grassroots marketing uh, of both of our companies is so parallel. It's it's a wonder that we, you know, we're really strangers up until, you know, a couple years ago. It's it, There's so many parallels. It's, it's, uh, it's really neat. It is, absolutely. Well, Joe, let's talk about new products for this year, 2023. Um, we got hunting season in South Carolina in mid-August coming up, September 2nd, 3rd, something like that in Kentucky. You know, and most of the Midwest is going to open up here in six, less than 60 days. So as guys, are, as guys are gearing up, what do we got cooking new from Osseo? Yep. So uh, this year I'll start, you know, kind of the next to skin. We've got two uh, sets of base layers coming. We've got a thin pair that's 150 um, grams per square meter. It, it's GSM is what they call it. And then we've got a heavy pair that's 290. So most of the heavy stuff you see out there is like 270, 280. We went a little bit heavier. And we also went with a combination. I tested these things for three years and you know, there, there's been a big Merino uh, kick, and, and Merino is a great fabric for warmth. The, the issue with Merino is it takes a long time for it to dry. So we, we actually did a blend. We've got the best of both worlds. We did a synthetic and a Merino blend that we tested over and over again. So you get the warmth and the, the scent properties of Merino wool, but the, then you get the drying capability of the synthetic. So really excited about these base layers that are coming. Does the Long Johns have a flap in the butt for a Code Brown? They, they, they fill <laughs> all of the Chasing Giants listeners. We're going to custom <laughs> Can we put our logo on the flap? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the quick, the quick detach. <laughs> Little House on the Prairie button-up flappers on the back with a Chasing Giants logo back here. I love it. That's perfect. We need some wipes that are in Osseo camo. That's what we need. There you go. Biodegradable. That's right. Uh, look at yep. compartment. That's actually a really good a little compartment <laughs> on the base layers. That's great. Yeah. Make, I'm making notes here, boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, when all the other companies steal the idea, I want royalties. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. So what else you got besides base layers? Yep, so uh, we got our 2.0 bibs. It's the same exact bib design, just with that new fabric that we discussed. Um, one, Another product that I am absolutely jacked up about is our late season vest, and we'll have to get you boys a couple couple of those. It's got 180 grams of Prima Loft, and it's just like our, <clears throat> our core warmth vest, except it's got the new collar design, the new fabric, and it's got 180 grams. So you can take our... Sherpa jacket, which I know a bunch of your listeners already have the Sherpa jacket and put that late season vest over the top of it. And you will easily be able to wear that thing down into the teens and, and you're going to have no bulk whatsoever on your arms. So yeah, Joe, talk a little bit about, um, you know, a, a friend of mine got me into vests several years ago and I never really was a vest guy until I realized how warm it kept me, but how much mobility it let me have you know in a tree stand drawing a bow back not having that extra layer in your armpits and down your sleeves talk a little bit about that because i know you've tested all different shapes and sizes yeah it, it's super important so what people don't realize is their hands and feet when they get cold 
most of not not all the time, but most of the time, the reason that is is because their core got cold and the blood sucks in from your extremities to your core to keep your core warm because that's your body's natural instinct is to keep your core as warm as humanly possible. That's where all your organs are, and so the the blood starts to leave your fingers and toes, and those are the first things to get cold. If you keep your core super warm, then your hands and feet are going to stay warmer. And, and so that's why having a good base layer, having a vest on a core warmth vest to keep that core warm is so important when it gets cold. And, and then absolutely, you know, it, you, you can put on a great big heavy Michelin man jacket and go out and shoot your bow. And then you can put on some sleek sleeves and a thick vest and see the difference. I mean, it's night and day. And, and again, that's, that's what we're trying to do. Um, and and we'll, we'll probably eventually come out with something that's got some super taper sleep, tapered sleeves. But as technology in, increases, as long as it's got the windproof barrier and insulation properties, we can do that. So um, right now, that, that late season vest and the Sherpa jacket is going to be an awesome combination for when it's cold. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What yeah. else? Yep. We've got... Um, Let's see, we got the base layers. We've got a non-metallic belt. Um, it's actually something I learned from some of my SEAL team buddies. Um, it's, a, it's a belt that, that comes around and doesn't have a buckle. It's got Velcro on the front, and, and don't let the Velcro scare you away because once you lock it down, it's not moving. So in the mornings when you put your belt on, it's not going anywhere. And once again, it's a small thing, but you know, if you've got binoculars hanging down there or a grunt call and it hits that metal buckle, or you've got your pack wrapped around your waist and that pack buckle is hitting that metal buckle, you don't have any interference with that whatsoever. So once again, it's just a, a little small improvement that, that could help you. So it's a pretty neat belt uh, that we've got coming. We've also got the compact new backpack. Uh, unfortunately, again, and, and this is a terrible problem to have, but I got a feeling before the season starts, we're, we're going to be sold out of those dadgum things. We, you, we, you better, you better put one aside for me. Yeah, yeah I've, <laughs> I've got a, but um, we've been talking, we've been talking about this for a while. Yeah, I'm super stoked about this. Yep. So um, we, we, those will be in, uh, should be the middle to end of August, and we've got them on pre-order now, and they are flying off the pre-order quote-unquote shelves um so we've got that coming we've got a hand muff that's uh you know got the 180 grams of primaloft and it's windproof and we've got the same fabric designs on the front and back and then we've got our silent sleeve over that buckle as well Well, what else you got joe is that about it yep that's what we that's what we've got coming so we've got the base layers the 2.0 on the jackets and vest uh, 2.0 on the bibs. We've got the uh, backpack. We've got the belt. I'm trying to think if I'm leaving anything out. I think that's it, boys. I think that's everything. So, All right, Joe. Well, if people want to get a hold of you, obviously the best place we need to go is to the Osseo webpage, and I'm sharing that on my screen right now. And I love the look of the new website. Very simple, but awesome. Um, awesome design. Very eye-appealing. But if, if people don't have access to the internet and uh, they're listening online, why don't you uh, read off the phone number of where they can go to to, uh, to give a call into the office to do business with you? Yep, they can. Uh, it, it's a toll-free number, and it's 
888-544-7150. Again, 888-544-7150. And it, it really will be me, Cole, or Lucas answering the phone. So we're, we're right there basically every day unless, unless we're in the tree. <laughs> well, that's every day for you. Well, yeah, but I, I, uh, that's why Cole and Lucas are there. So we're good to go. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, do you mind sticking around and answering some questions from our listeners with us? No, absolutely. Thank you very much. All right, Don and Joe, uh, I'm going to share my screen and Don can read the first question and you guys can take it away the rest of the way. All right. The first one comes from Tyler Gehrig from Danville, Kansas. He says, hey, fellas, first off, I appreciate the nonsense and faith based aspect of the podcast. In my part of Kansas, the last 10 years, the out-of-state hunters have blown up. My question is, would you change your goals on size of bucks that you pass and let grow if this was an issue for you? I can't compete with the giant bait piles they hunt over on the properties surrounding me. Most of the big bucks have decreased in size from 170 to 180-inch deer down to 150 to 160-inch deer. I love hunting big deer, and this is frustrating. Your opinions are highly respected. Thanks, Tyler. You want to take that one, Joe, you first, or you want me to go first? I, I'm, I'm fine. I, I absolutely, because I, I got some interesting news today. I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, it's going in front of the Kansas, I guess, DNR. They're talking about potentially pulling all bait from the state of Kansas. I don't know if you guys saw that. So I, I, yeah. that, that, I would be excited very excited about that if, if kentucky's not far behind them i'm afraid i i got no problem with that i mean i i think missouri um and, and maybe i have this wrong and i know there's some cwd areas but i think the supplemental feeding after the season you know to help them late winter and, and getting some mineral to them is is very good but the baiting man if if, if we could do away with that i think it would improve a a, a lot of deer herds Don, you talked about I, this last week when he says he's got 170 to 180 going to 150 to 160. Do you think that that's what you were talking about is just age structures going away? That, that's probably exactly what it is. I, you know, ironically, just today I went out and I checked seven trail cameras, some of those for the first time since I put them out there at the first of July. And I had a, a roughly 20,000 pictures on those seven cameras. And, and there was not a decent buck on any of the 20,000 pictures. The, the quality of the Illinois deer herd is going down the toilet. Um, I, I know why the last straw, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was when they legalized crossbows for the entire archery season. Our, our archery season now, you, you got trucks every evening parked all over the place where, you know, and gun season is almost dead today. And that was not the case 20 years ago. 20 years ago, opening day of gun season, trucks everywhere. And those guys have given up gun hunting for three and a half months of crossbow hunting. And the the buck population just can't take it. Now, back to Tyler's question, though. He, he wants to know what I would do in that situation. Well, you know, I like hunting big bucks as much as you do, Tyler, but you, you you just got to do whatever it takes to find those bucks. If, if the property you're on has went down, you know, the toilet, so to speak, you, you need to go elsewhere. And, you know, I hear it all the time from guys that they'll say, oh, you, the properties I have access to, blah, blah, blah. Well, 
who limits you to your access there? It's you, it's your decisions, your choices, your whatever, your work ethic or, or, you know, the effort you're going to put forth is limiting you to the properties you have today. If that passion for chasing big deer is strong enough, then, you know, do whatever it takes. And, and you know, one saying I've got is you've got a choice. You can make excuses or you can find solutions. And there's big deer out there. And, you know, I was just complaining about uh, the state of Illinois. Well, I've got a plan on what I'm going to do about it. I'm not going to share it here for the whole public, especially my neighbors to know um, or, or local hunters. But I, I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to start doing some things different um, to, to combat what's happened. And, you know, make excuses or find solutions. You, nobody is tying you to that property that you're talking about that's been surrounded by non-resident hunters. You're not tied there. Nobody's forcing you to hunt there only. Um, go wherever you need to to chase the caliber of bucks that you desire. Anything else, Joe? No, I, I just, I, I could not agree. I mean, that, that was exactly what I would say. I mean, I live in South Carolina um, and, and, you know, that, <laughs> this is your life, right? Yeah, that's, that's my life. And, and, you know, if I, if I just stayed pigeonholed and, and kept blinders on and hunted right here in South Carolina, I'd have a whole bunch of 115 inch, you know, South Carolina swamp bucks and they are fun to hunt, but I would have no 170s 180s hanging on the wall um you know i i get in the truck and do crazy stuff you know i'll drive you know eight hours to cut on one trail camera on one 10 acre property you know when it's time and, and turn around and drive right home so it, it is the work ethic and, and that is absolutely across the board what separates the real the guys that really get it done over and over regardless of who they are where they live the guys that kill them every year are the guys that work the hardest. No doubt about Amen, it. Amen, brother. Amen. Yep. All right, Don, how about the second one? Uh, the next one comes from Jeff Sparks from Macomb, Illinois. He says, Don and Terry, thanks for a great podcast. And more importantly, the kingdom work you are doing. In the last podcast, you mentioned having Joe Miles on this week and questions for him. My question relates to the moon. My understanding is Joe was at one time an owner of the moon guide, but is no longer involved with it. How does Joe hunt the red moon? It seems like Joe has a hunting trip every week and only a small percentage of those hunting trips could be related to the red moon. So how does Joe use the red moon in the real world? Well, Jeff, Joe's right here. So I'm going to let you ask the man himself. <laughs> That's, that's a really good question, and, and he, he makes a very good point. So to start with, yes, uh, History of the Moon Guide, I'll, I'll be brief here. Uh, Jeff Murray created that thing. He, he did a bunch of studies on, on moon, and the, the thing about the moon guide that's a little bit different than a lot of the lunar calendars out there is it is totally fixated on the position of the moon, not the phase so it, it looks at the overhead moon and the underfoot moon, which is the moon that is directly overhead and directly underfoot at certain times during the day. And the premise is when that moon is directly overhead or directly underfoot during prime moving hours, it has a tendency to get deer up and moving. Um, so Jeff Murray did all this, all this uh, studies, put together the moon 
died. And unfortunately, he got a very rare uh, blood uh, cancer, I believe it was, and he passed away. And his wife took over. And slowly, over time, the, the moon guide started to kind of go away. And Adam Hayes, good buddy of mine, I know you guys know, know Adam, um, he came to me and said, hey, man, there's an opportunity to, to buy the moon guide. And I had used the moon guide some, you know, before this this was something that I used. And it was, was a tool that I had that I paid attention to. And uh, when the opportunity came, I, I decided, yeah, that would be a good investment. I bought it. And I, I never will forget the first year I, I had it. We weren't going to do anything with it. We we're just going to shelf it, start the next year. And I had like. 40 people call me. They found my number by calling Cabela's because it was sold in Cabela's. And then it was um, the, the Cabela's directed them to Jeff Murray's widow. And then she gave them my phone number. And, and so I said, you know what? We, we've got to print, you know, 15, 1600 of these things. We printed them. We sold them all. They're the little dial, the data wheel dials. And um, that, that's how it resurrected. We, we really built it up for three years. And then I actually ended up selling. Um, Adam and I partnered on it. And I sold my half of it to Adam. And now he runs it completely himself. So the Moon Guide is all Adam's now. Um, as far as myself and how I hunt, look, guys, I, if the weather's right, <clears throat> I'm hunting. Um, the, the only time you're going to catch me sleeping in or not hunting during deer season is when the wife is super angry or and, and she happens to be really cool and really laid back. So that doesn't happen a whole lot. And I've been doing this nonsense since we started dating when we were 18. So she's very accustomed to my craziness. Um, so, so I'm going to be hunting uh, when, when it when the weather's terrible. And, and my, what I mean by that is hot when it's really hot. You know, I might take a day or two off or, or come home and, and, and reset the batteries. So I'm going to be hunting. But I do look at the moon guide. I do like to know when those red moon days are, when that overhead moon, underfoot moon is, because that might be a day, especially in that pre-rut, that I won't, I might bounce into one of my better spots. You know, weather trumps every, well, pressure trumps everything. Then in, in my mind, pressure trumps everything, then weather, and then the moon can have an impact in, in my anecdotal experience over the years. And, and that, that really has to align where you have low pressure, great weather, and then you get an overhead moon in the afternoon in late October, uh, that, that I've killed some big deer on those days. So talking about the pressure, what are, what specifically are you looking for with that barometric pressure, Joe? Well, I was talking about y your favorite saying, human intrusion. Pressure. Oh, human hunting pressure. Human hunting pressure, yeah. Okay. yeah everything. If, if you've got a, a property that's getting blown up, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a great moon. It doesn't matter if you have great weather. It, it, you're, you're, you're out of the game. So I would say yeah. that everything, followed by weather, you know, cold barometric pressure wind all of that and then the moon you know that that would be okay. kind of how i look at it well, i would agree with that 100 percent. all right well i think uh this next question comes from somebody that's just down the road from me in owenton kentucky so <laughs> yeah tom from owenton kentucky says don and terry I was curious what your opinions are on deer cooperatives working closely with neighbors. I'm torn between reaching out to my neighbors to try to elevate the class of bucks everyone is shooting, i.e. 
trigger finger management or going with the lone wolf approach. I'm in the hill country of Owen County, Kentucky, and worry that if the neighbors realize I'm working to produce mature whitetails, that I will have increased pressure on my borders. Maybe I'm better off having them tag out on the first yearling or two and a half year old and be out of the woods before a big boy shows himself. Thank you all for sharing your knowledge. Um, well, Tom, I, I think a cooperative can be a great thing as long as everybody in the cooperative actually follows the rules. And from what I've seen in, and I've never been a part of a cooperative, but you know, I've got a lot of consulting clients that, you know, are supposedly working with the neighbors. And then, then I get the text. Uh, yeah, I passed this buck, you know, two weeks ago and guess what? My neighbor who agreed to let that buck walk ends up shooting him. I hear them stories every single season. And uh, you're right on the money. A lot of times all you're doing is letting those bucks go to your neighbors. Now, with that said, you get into some areas like, you know, in Southern Iowa where everybody is really serious and everybody is on the same page. Well, it can work fantastic. But I think even in those situations, you know, there's a couple of things that you're dealing with. First of all, in a situation like where I'm at, where there's hunting pressure around, but it's not right on my border. I, I know when my three-year-olds leave, if, if somebody gets a chance, they're probably going to get shot, but I'm isolated enough that, that I can protect those bucks to some degree. There, there's going to be a certain percentage of them that are going to survive and going to move on to, to older age classes. And that's the type of situation, you know, where being the lone wolf, as you call it, you know, actually works out. Um, when you get into an area where every farm is trying to grow giants, it becomes a, a whole lot harder for you to set your property apart from your neighbors because to one degree or another, your neighbors are all doing the same thing you are. They're all putting out big food plots. You know, they're all they're having a sanctuary on their property. They're all watching the wind when they hunt. So along comes a giant and the odds of that giant being on your property versus your neighbors is a whole lot less than in my neighborhood. Because in my neighborhood, I'm the only guy with big food plots. I'm the only guy with a true sanctuary with zero human intrusion. So you just got to look at your situation. I prefer the lone wolf approach most of the time because I want to use my neighbors to push those bucks to me and set my property apart from them. But, you know, I'm also, I'll be the first to tell you that, that I'm pretty extreme in the caliber of bucks that I'm, I'm looking for. There, there's not very many places where your neighbors are going to let 170 inch bucks walk. Um, no matter, even in Southern Iowa, 170 inch bucks are going to get shot pretty regular. Uh, so I've taken things to the extreme. That doesn't make me better than anybody else. It's just where I'm. I'm at, I've shot enough bucks. If I never shoot another one, I've shot more than my fair share. But, uh, Joe, I bet you can shed some light on all your travels. You've hunted every type of situation there is. You could probably shed some light on this topic as well, man. Uh, and it'll be quick and simple. Remain silent. <laughs> and I, I tell you, I just, uh, it's, it's, I've lost properties. I've been rooted out. I've had guys come in and, 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 you know, 
come in right right behind me or before I get there. I, I mean, it just the, the quieter you can be and beat to your own drum. I mean, if you are one of the rarities and you have really good neighbors that are going to do exactly what what you're going to do, then then good for you. But but man, oh, man, that's got to be hard to find. So my my. I guess my opinion or advice, if you will, would be remain silent, go the lone wolf route and, and, and keep everything to yourself. Should we design an Osseo one man wolf pack shirt? We absolutely. (laughs) 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 The one man wolf packs once hunting season. What's the, uh, what's the old saying that a buddy of mine, Mine said I'll post pictures of it when he's in the bed of my truck or something like that. Until then, I'm not posting pictures of anything. Without a doubt, man. These guys that post all their velvet pictures and trail camera pictures of the deer they're after and everything, it blows my mind. Blows my mind. Well, I do it some, you know, and it actually works to my benefit because I know that the more pressure I create around my property on, on surrounding properties, that it's going to help my place because I know enough to stay out so of you my have, place. You have a bigger buffer than most people do. Right, that, most, that's most absolutely people, right. Yep. Most people don't have that buffer. You're talking about a two mile, three mile buffer in, in most of the directions. We got people sitting on the fence post. You're exactly right. That isolation of a hunting property is so huge. And I did not realize it when I started, but I, it just fell into my lap. And it's the only reason I've been able to do what i've done is because of that that buffer that surrounds my place okay good question uh the next one comes from justin from wild rose wisconsin says thank you don and terry for sticking to your christian values in today's world can you both please go over guesstimating a buck's age without having previous history with them i know it is very difficult to do so I haven't had cameras out for several years and would like to break into the four and a half year old bucks and up. I have cameras out now to start to gather history from here on out. Thank you. And God bless. Uh, well, Justin, the reason that I picked your question is that this time of the year, my phone absolutely goes berserk with text messages of guys sending me pictures saying, how old is, how he? Old is this buck? How old is he? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the most difficult to tell a buck's age is during the summer, you know, the summer in the summertime, they've all got thin necks and, and, you know, you can, you can tell the really old bucks from the really young ones. It's that middle age, you know, from say a really good three-year-old versus a a four or five-year-old, uh, that can be very difficult in in the fall is when you're going to have a whole lot easier time because, um, you know, those mature bucks, they're just going to fill out, you know, their necks are going to fill out and they're just going to look like a totally different animal. And, uh, you know, a good example, and I know this isn't in the fall, but the video footage that I just, uh, shared on the whitetail master Academy of babe, he had a year and a half old buck there messing around with him in the beans. And literally it, it looks like babe would easily score or, or weigh more than twice what that yearling buck weighs. And, and that's not an exaggeration at all. And those guys that have seen the video know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, body size is an indicator. A buck just doesn't get to 250 pounds 
as a two-year-old. So eating little um, Debbies. Well, <laughs> <laughs> hey, it took a ever... long time for me to get this chubby. It wasn't overnight. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys want to try to age Terry, you go right ahead. <laughs> um, I don't know, Joe. You you've seen as many wild bucks as I have, and you've seen them over a whole lot more geography than I have. So maybe you can shed some light on this. You, you know, I, Don, I I think you can tell the yearlings, the two-year-olds, but I think when they get three and up, it, you know, I, I've heard you say this before, and it's a hundred percent true. It's like people. You, you, you know, I mean, you, you get a big fit superstar that, that this may be only, uh, you know, in, in deer's age, a four-year-old, and then, then you can get one that'll, you know, short-legged and, you, you know, not as thick, and he might be a six-and-a-half-year-old. So unless you have, in, in my opinion, unless you have, you know, a lot of history with the deer, when they get past three, it's so hard. Is he a four-and-a-half? Is he a five-and-a-half? Is he a six-and-a-half? You know, what, what I look at there is is two things. You know, is he mature? Is he not mature? And, and you know, for a guy that's not doing the, the upper tier management, man, if you like the deer and you, you think he's mature and you're after a mature deer, man, have at it, right? I mean, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of pictures I get from guys in South Carolina that send me deer and say, hey, do you think this one's old enough to shoot? And I'm like, well, how many 120s have you shot? None. Mm-hmm. Like, well, what, 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 what are you doing? You, you know, our, our rifle season comes in August 15th, goes to January 1st, and you can shoot five bucks. These guys are bow hunting, sending me pictures of mature 120-inch bucks and going, do you think he's old, old enough? I, I don't want to go on a rant here. But, man, if, if, if that, you, you know, your priorities, what are your goals? What are your priorities? And if that deer fits them, who cares what anybody thinks or says if you're happy with that deer man that's what it's all about let the air out of it absolutely right you know we've all three been around we've all three been around long enough to see this change in the deer hunting community where it's about age not score you know we, we we've all heard that you know it's all about the age well that's a bunch of garbage because i'm telling you if a hunter's sitting in a tree and he's got a two-year-old out there that scores 130 and he's got a, a six-year-old that scores 120, guess which one he's shooting? He's <laughs> shooting the young buck every time. Every time. That, that garbage about the age. And so now we've got all these deer hunters that are so worried about the age of their buck. And Joe's advice is spot on. If he makes you happy, you shoot him. Don't worry about when his birthday is. Who cares? Yeah, 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 that's right. So, Joe, what about repositioning your trail cameras to get a little bit different angle where you can actually measure the distance between the butthole and the bottom of the scrotum? <laughs> and the longer that distance gets, the older the buck is. Well, I hear why it's coming out with an app in their AI. You'll be able to do that. They're going to put the drone in, and it's going to go right up to the butt. And it's going to have a calibration machine, and then it'll fly back and send you that data, and then it'll tell you whether it's old enough to shoot or not. Yeah. If it's tucked in the deer's socks, you know it's a real old one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Ancient. Shoot without question. (laughs) 
All right. We just had that one, Terry. <laughs> it should be loading now. Okay. Uh, next one comes from Garrett Stoops from Ashland, Ohio. Uh, it says, hi, Don and Terry. First, I'd like to thank you for everything you guys do for the hunting community and the great content you put out. I haven't missed a podcast on Monday mornings for two years, and I joined the Master Academy as soon as it came out. I have a couple of questions. Don, on last week's podcast, you mentioned you could make Ohio the best state in the country if you were able to make a few changes. With that said, could you stop talking about Ohio? Just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> Would you ever consider leaving Illinois for the right farm and trying to make Ohio that best state? meaning becoming a politician or better yet. I think the campaign would be Trump Higgins 2024 and you could change a lot of things around the country. Well, Garrett, I'd love to be King for just a week because I would change the world. Believe me. <laughs> um, question number two, you've said in the past, you should be able to get all the bucks on your property on one camera. Is that based off an inside corner camera placement, a rope scrape or a mineral site? Could you explain this trail camera location? I'm probably not the only one not getting all the bucks on camera or even more than just a few. I don't even think I get them all with multiple cameras. Thanks again for all you guys do. Good luck chasing babe this fall. Um, well, Garrett, your, your first part about me selling out in Illinois and moving to Ohio, I'll tell you what, if you get the Ohio DNR to hire me as their deer manager, and I have the power to make any change I want to the Ohio regulations, I will seriously consider moving to Ohio. <laughs> That's what it would take. I'm not moving. He didn't there the say way sell is. his farm. He said, no, yeah, I'm not going to sell my <laughs> Illinois farm. There's, there's no way I'm selling my Illinois farm. Um, there so would the be other no question, reason to move though. Cause out of state guys, well, unless that was in your rules that you were going to, that you were going to change. Well, I would, I wouldn't care what state it was. If I could be in charge of any state in the Midwest in five years, they would be, that state would be number one. <laughs> but anyway, that's never going to happen. So let's move on to the second question um, about getting all the bucks on one property on, on one trail camera. And, you know, this is a perfect example. And the reason I, this is the whole reason I picked this question I'm still learning as much as anybody, you know, my goal every year is to be a better deer hunter at the end of the season than I was at the beginning. So that the next year I'm starting out better than I started out last year. And I continue to learn some things. And just this past winter, I had a situation on my farm that I would never have believed possible. And my son-in-law and a friend of his were hunting here, trying to shoot some cold bucks late in the season. And they'd come in and a lot of times I was gone consulting, but I'd talk to him on the phone or whatever every evening. And um, my son-in-law was describing this buck they'd seen a couple of times to me. And I know my bucks on this place. I mean, I, they start describing, I know exactly what they're talking about. They was describing this one buck and he was a mature buck. And, and I couldn't figure out what in the world buck they, they're talking about. And it's like, you guys got to take my video camera along and, and video this buck because you're seeing him and I don't even know what you're talking about. And sure enough, very next afternoon, they take my video camera. They film this buck that I did not have a single picture of 
and I had several trail cameras on my property. And the, last spring when I pulled my trail cameras, I don't know how long the buck was there, but I never got a single picture of that buck the entire time he was here. And if it wouldn't have been for my son-in-law taking my video camera, I would have never believed there was a buck here that I didn't have a picture of. So I think at one time I did say that on my property, I could probably get every buck's picture with one camera. That doesn't mean any property you can go with one camera and get every buck's picture. And there, there's just certain terrain features where all the deer are going to funnel through. They, they just pretty much have to. And if you've got one of those terrain features on your property, um, then you're going to get about every deer's picture that lives there. Um, it's not a hundred percent like a lot of things with deer hunting. And especially when it comes to mature bucks, there are tendencies, but there are no absolutes just about the time you think you got it figured out and you, you think you've got something figured out that happens all the time. Along comes a buck, like I just described from last winter and he shows you, you don't even know what you're talking about. So the big lesson here is that I don't think I'm a know-it-all I'm still learning like everybody else. I've got a lot of more experience than probably the average deer hunter, but I'm still putting the pieces of this puzzle together. And I don't think any of us are ever going to figure it out. I think when it really comes down to it, you could take the most knowledgeable whitetail person on the planet, no matter who you think it is, somebody like Dr. Strickland, you maybe, and whoever you think is the smartest whitetail mind on the planet, that guy does not know as much as a year and a half old whitetail buck. And then you consider how much more a mature buck is different than a yearling. You know, we will never figure these critters out a hundred percent, but that, that's kind of, what, kind of why I wanted to uh, pick that question was to let you know, I'm still learning just as much as everybody else. Joe. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There, there are no absolutes in whitetail hunting, in, in my experience. And I think it, it, it depends, you know, also on the size of the property. If, you, if you've got a giant property with tons and tons of cover, um, I, you know, like, like the place I have access to here in South Carolina, my, my buddy owns a big farm here and he lets me just kind of have free range and hunt the whole thing. And, you know, it's, it's all river swamp. You know, it's it's a few small patches of food plot and then it's all cut over and just big hardwood river swamp. And and so there's not those terrain features. You know, there's not those big funnels. Um, and and it, I would be hard pressed to get a third of the bucks on one trail camera, you know, because they are really spread out. Um, but but then like uh, on the 29 acre track I had in Illinois, you know, I had one trail camera on that entire property and there was a fence crossing that they had to come through. So, you know, that small little property is set up where I only had to run one trail camera and I got every single buck that would come in and out of that property. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I think it depends on the size of the property, how it lays out. And, and yeah, that, that would be my, my two cents on that question. Well, I think we, we spend so much time worrying about the layout and I'm guilty of this too. Um, but we spend so much time worrying about the layout of our food plots and our bedding, creating that perfect stand site. And Wes Delk said it the best, you create trail camera spots just like you do stand locations. 
and there's things that you can do to manipulate the habitat or terrain or features or trees or fence crossings, gates, miscanthus plantings to build trail camera spots to where you can get the inventory you're looking for while you're minimizing intrusion. And I've seen this on Wes's plans that he sent to people is he he spends as much time you know, building trail camera locations while everybody else is spending all their time about their stand site. And I think it's a really valid point that if we put as much time into our trail camera location versus our stand locations, we could have a better spot. And we talked about this with the price of batteries this year. When you can minimize the number of cameras you have out there, you're going to save a lot of money, but you're going to put much less intrusion on your property. Yeah, I, I see a lot of trail cameras on my consulting visits that where guys hang them. And, you know, sometimes I scratch my head and, and this is not with every client, but I've seen situations where it, it's a wonder that people ever get a picture of a mature buck, the, the way these cameras are, are put out. And I, I tell my approach that, that I've started telling my clients is you, when you put your trail camera out, you need to think of it as not you're trying to get a buck's picture, but that you've got a trespasser. Your neighbor is trespassing. You're trying to get a picture of a human, and you don't want that guy that you're trying to get his picture to ever see your camera. He, because if he does, he's going to steal it. And that's the way you need to approach as you're trying to get these bucks pictures. You want to keep them the bucks from seeing that camera. And I'll go right back again to the video I got last night, you know, when I was filming Babe, and he, they, that group of bucks spooked, and they ran across the field, and they ran in front of my trail camera. I showed some pictures on the, the video that I posted on the Whitetail Master Academy today of those pictures that were taken last night as I was sitting across the field watching them being taken. And he comes up there, and he had never – that trail camera has only been there since this past weekend – and he's coming across that bean field and he is a good 20, 30 yards from that camera and he locks in on it. He sees it on the tree and then he walks right at it. And, and you watch him, a series of pictures, that buck comes right at that camera. And then I watched it from the distance. I watched it happen. And, and when he did, when he seen that camera, he was done in the beans. He went back into the timber and probably stayed there till dark. Mel did the same thing. When you put he that, did. when you put that camera over that, uh, over that scrape. scrape. Yep. I don't think guys realize that, that now there's some mature bucks. It goes right back to what Joe was saying. There's no absolutes. You know, there's some bucks they'll walk by the same trail camera stuck on a stake in a, in a wide open food plot day after day after day and sit there and, you know, chew clover hanging out their mouth as they're looking in the camera. <laughs> And then there's other bucks. You get them one time at a at a location, and and you're done. You're never getting them at that location again. I've seen more than one buck that I, I would get his picture here, one time done. Then, well, the king, then maybe I get it over here one time done. The king buck would never let that happen, Don. He's only letting you get one picture, and then he's out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Joe, we thank you for being on the show today. We're really excited about all the new products coming out. I want to hear a quick update before we sign off about Mission Whitetail, what you got planned for it, and how people can uh, reach out and listen to that because that's a that's been a pretty good outlet for you. 
It, it, it is. Um, I, I appreciate that. And we are actually are going to have the dial-in service for our, for our Amish guys. Um, it, it should be going out in the busy beaver with the, the phone number of, of what that is. I don't think Lauren and Kelly have gotten it exactly dialed in yet, but they are working on that. So guys, we'll be able to call in and listen to the podcast. Um, and, and, you know, we're doing it every other week and have, have really in, enjoyed it. Um, what, what, just to back up for just one second, I would like to say something about the Whitetail Master Academy. Um, just, just real quick, and, and you can call it a shameless plug or whatever, but I, you know, I've been hunting since I was five years old, and it's one of the best tools. I, I go to it often. So, guys, if, if, if you're out there and you want something that's unique and different, Man, check out that Whitetail Master Academy because, I mean, just the, the property layouts, Don, that you go into, man, people would pay a fortune to, I, I, I told you this, you know, kind of off air that, that you're not charging enough for the Whitetail Master Academy. I mean, those property layouts, you know, I look, what I do is I look at them and, and then I make mental notes and go, okay, this is what I would do. This is what I do. This is what I would do. And then I hit play and I go. I was wrong here. I was wrong here. And I was <laughs> there. So, I mean, just the education from that alone. So I, I know I went off script from Mission Whitetail, but but just wanted to say that it's been so helpful for me. And and I, I think guys that, that want to be successful and that are successful, they kind of check their egos and, and they, they want to be, uh, you know, get as much knowledge from other guys and guys that do it maybe a different way or, or live in a different area and are constantly trying to gain more knowledge and more more pearls of wisdom. And man, there are a bunch of pearls in that Whitetail Master Academy. So I just wanted to get that out there. I was sitting Thanks, with Jeff. Austin Razor in the airport down in Destin Sunday. We were flying home from uh, offshore fishing last week. And we were in a conversation. I said, you know, Austin, I think there's two kinds of people in this world. There's the kind of person that listens and asks questions and is always trying to learn when there's a conversation going on. Even though they're participating in the conversation, they're listening, they're asking questions, and they're observing. The other type of people in this world are the ones that won't stop talking just to legitimize themselves and validate themselves so that other people think that they're of a higher value. And when when we go to the approach that everything we do, we're setting back saying, well, what can I learn from this situation or how can I understand how someone else's position is or what they're going through or what their goals, objectives are? Uh, we learn so much more and absorb so much and that conversation becomes a lot more valuable. And it's just like what you said, you got to check the ego a little bit. Without a doubt, man. I mean, that, that, that's it. You know, it, 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 we don't know it all, you know, you hit, you hit on that earlier, a year and a half old buck knows more than we do. And, and man, there's, there's guys that have seen stuff that we've never seen, you you know, and if you can get one little nugget, you might end up in that position and that's going to come to the forefront of your mind. So Whitetail Master Academy is a great place and super inexpensive for the value that, that you're provided absolutely without a doubt all right well we look forward for more episodes of mission whitetail go check out the whitetail master academy but thanks for being on the show boss we really appreciate any time we get to spend with you it's always a blast thank you guys y'all have a great evening and uh won't be long till we'll be sitting in the tree i can't wait thanks for your time this evening joe yeah thank y'all appreciate it all right
God bless everybody. Have a great week.